0: Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Do you hear the disappointment in Martha's voice? A confused and fragile faith is nothing new. At times, even the earliest followers of Jesus struggled to make sense of what the Savior was doing. Such was the case with Martha, when she learned her brother Lazarus had died and Jesus wasn't around to prevent it from happening. Disease, delay, and even the strange twists and turns our life can take all possess the potential to shake our faith to the ground. Can you trust God to lead you through the valley of the shadow of death? Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now.
1: Are you going through a season of suffering today? Is your attitude towards God one of dependence or disappointment? Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for stopping by. Well, today on Something Good, Ron has a word of encouragement and a word of caution for anyone whose faith in God has wavered. Stay with us now as he continues his teaching series, Why Jesus? seven reasons he is still the one and only. Or visit somethinggoodradio.org and listen on demand on your schedule That's somethinggoodradio.org. From John chapter seven, here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, the resurrection and the life.
0: We're gonna look at a large portion of John chapter 11, but I just wanna read verses 20 and following by way of introduction. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God who is coming into the world. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite authors. He's written a number of books. He's one of these best-selling Christian authors. I like him because he's not afraid to ask really, really tough questions, hard questions, and then answer them honestly. You kind of get that sense from the titles of his books, like uh, Where's God When It Hurts? Or uh, What's So Amazing About Grace? There's one that came out a couple of decades ago. Uh, I think it was even before I went to seminary. Uh, the title caught my attention. It was simply titled, Disappointment with God. And when I first saw the title of that book, I thought to myself, who could ever be disappointed with God? And if they were, who who would have the courage to express it? But Yancey writes about a young seminary student who uh, abandoned his faith due to a series of disappointing and sometimes confusing circumstances that all kind of happened at the same time, including uh, the breaking of his engagement to the love of his life and the divorce of his parents. And when all of that happened and, 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 and came upon this young man, it was just too much for him. And he was writing his master's thesis on the book of Job, and he got in a conversation with Yancey as one of his uh, editors and a guy who would give him input on the thesis. And he and came to a point where he said to, to Yancey, I just don't believe it anymore. I'm done with this. And Yancey began to have uh, correspondence with this young man, and after several months, Yancey said this. He says, some people lose their faith because of a sharp sense of disappointment with God. They expect God to act in a certain way, and God lets them down. Others may not lose their faith, but they, too, experience a form of disappointment. They believe God will intervene. They pray for a miracle, and their prayers come back unanswered. Can anybody identify with uh, Yancey's observations here? To, uh, have, have you prayed perhaps for a miracle or for, for something to change in your life, and you've prayed, and you prayed, and it seems like your prayers go no higher than the ceiling in the room, and you experience what C.S. Lewis said where he prays, and it seems like heaven's doors are locked and double-locked. Is anybody here kind of quietly disappointed with God? Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2 says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Isaiah 45 and verse 15 says, truly you are a God who hides himself. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 states, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. You know, one of the most difficult things to learn in the Christian life is this this lesson, that is that, that God is not obligated to explain himself. Job figured that out, didn't he? Remember the book of Job in the Old Testament? Some say it's the oldest book in the Bible, dating thousands of years even before Moses and Mount Sinai and all of that. And it's the quintessential answer in the Scriptures to pain and suffering. It's 42 chapters in length. And we don't hear from God until chapter 38. You know the story of Job. He loses everything. I mean, his, his family, his ten sons and daughters in a, in a tragic tornado. He loses his, his health, his business. Some say he should have left his wife because his wife says, you know, why don't you curse God and die? How's that for Mrs. Job? I mean, Job's sitting in the ashes of life, and he's scraping the sores on him, and then his three friends show up. What kind of friends are, are these? They, they just wax eloquently about Job, questioning everything about his faith and this and that, and sounding all uh, knowledgeable about different things. And all the while, through, through 37 chapters, God is silent. And suddenly, he breaks his silence, and he does it with these words pointed at Job, Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? And then a couple of verses later, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And it's two or three more chapters, four chapters of these kinds of questions. And you kind of get the sense like God is saying to Job, guess what? You don't know what you don't know. So sit down and shut up. I'm going to tell you a few things. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 5, As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Isaiah 55, these are the words of the Lord, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You don't know what you don't know. Even the Apostle Paul couldn't unscramble the inscrutable, we might say. Remember in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's waxing eloquently about the mystery of the sovereignty of God. (laughs) And finally, at the end of that, he throws up his hands and kind of wonders, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Paul says there are some things about God even I don't understand, And so sometimes our faith is confused. Sometimes we we come very close to the line of being disappointed with God. And there's nothing new with that. Even the early followers of Jesus uh, found themselves wondering, even scratching their heads at what Jesus was doing. And we have a story like that found in John chapter 11. The characters in the story are familiar ones, Mary and Martha, their sisters, and their brother Lazarus. And Lazarus is sick. He's sick unto death. In fact, he dies. And as we look at the story beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11, and we and we read through the story through about verse 15 or 16, I, I find some circumstances of life that are common to all of us that have the potential of, of throwing our faith into a tailspin to where, uh, like this young seminary student, we're ready to just chuck it all and say, I'm done with this. Uh, I don't know where God is. Uh, I, I'm disappointed with him. I prayed. I, I I fasted. I did all the things I was supposed to do, and he didn't show up in the way that I thought he was supposed to show up. Here are some circumstances that have the potential of leading us in that direction if we, if we deal with them incorrectly. The first has to do with disease. When disease strikes, look at verse 1 of chapter 11, now a certain man was ill, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Martha and her sister Mary. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. A certain man was sick. You you could insert anybody's name there, you could insert yourself. because it's a reminder that sickness, disease, even death is no respecter of persons in this life. We get some sense that maybe this family made up of Mary and Martha and and, and Lazarus, these three siblings, that they might have come from a fairly well-to-do family, maybe a wealthy family because Luke tells us it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember the time she took an expensive jar of perfume and and, and Judas said, wasted it, cracked it open, and anointed Jesus' hair, where well, only the wealthy in that culture and at that time could afford such, such expensive perfume. Elsewhere in the New Testament in the Gospels, we're told that these three siblings threw a, a dinner party for Jesus. Maybe another indication that they, they had some money, they had some means. Uh, they also had a family burial cave in which they put their brother Lazarus. Again, an indication of wealth. My point is simply this. Money will never protect you from the pain and suffering of life. Oh, you may have enough money to buy a good insurance policy and take care of the disease when it comes upon you, but sickness and disease and ultimately death are no respecter of persons. That's why Jesus points them to a larger purpose in this time of suffering. He says in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. (laughs) You see, we need to get God's perspective on pain and suffering and sickness and disease. He sees a way to bring glory to himself, even in a fallen world, this this nasty fallen world in which we live, where we deal with disease all the time. Jesus says there's there's a way that the Father gets glory through all of this because uh, this illness does not lead to, to death. You see, sometimes we miss the glory because we're too busy trying to rewrite the story, aren't we? We want to wiggle our way out of the difficult, painful times of life. I understand that. I do, too. But Jesus sees a different purpose here.
1: Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Resurrection and the Life. If you're new to the program, we want you to know that all of Ron's messages are archived at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, use the partner tab that's right at the top of the homepage and check out the 828 Club, a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can continue to share this media ministry around the world. Join the 828 Club right from our website or call us at 757-276-1099. That's 757-276-1099. Does it sometimes seem as if your prayers are falling on the deaf ears of a silent God? An encouraging word is straight ahead in the rest of today's Something Good radio message, the resurrection and the life. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: Here's another category of circumstances that that might cause us to tailspin in our faith, and that's when God delays, when he delays... Read on in verses 5 and 6, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, and when he heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You mean he got news that his friend Lazarus was sick and in his final hours and that he was perhaps going to die? And he just kind of hangs out where he is two days longer. He doesn't send a message, doesn't scribble something down on a on a scroll or a parchment and send a message to them. By he doesn't drop everything he's doing and, and rush back to Bethany to be with the family. No, he he delays. He stays he he stays two days longer. The scripture says, and there's not a word from Jesus back to Bethany. Other family have have already gotten there. They're gathered. They're consoling the sisters. They're grieving over Lazarus. But Jesus, he's nowhere to be found. I love what Oswald Chambers says about this scene in Bethany. He asks a penetrating question. Has God trusted you with a silence, a silence that is big with meaning? God's silences are his answers. Think of those days of absolute silence in the home at Bethany. Is there anything analogous to those days in your life? Can God trust you like that, or are you still seeking a visible sign? God will give you the blessings you ask for if you will not go any further without them, but his silence is the sign, listen to this, that he is bringing you into a marvelous understanding of himself. Wow. Wow. Stick that feather in your theological cap. You mean when I pray and and I don't hear anything from heaven and heaven is silent and it's bolted and double bolted the doors and it just feels like, you know, where is God? He might be bringing me into a marvelous understanding of himself. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what Chambers says. And that's what he experienced. And perhaps that's what Jesus is doing here as well. It's interesting that uh, Luke tells us two times in verses 1 to 5 that Jesus loved them. He loved Mary and Martha. He loved Lazarus. They were were tight. They were family friends. They hung out together. Why, Why does he say, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but he stayed two days longer? Because when you experience the silence of God, when you experience one of his delays, you're tempted to think, He's forgotten me. He, he, he doesn't love me. He's indifferent. He doesn't care. It's all a myth, this idea that God, God loves us and cares for us, even in the small details and, and big painful details of life. But, but no, Luke is quick to remind us Jesus loved them. And the fact that he delayed, the fact that he was silent is not inconsistent with his love. Maybe he's bringing them into a, a marvelous understanding of himself. Here's a third category of circumstances that might cause our faith to tailspin some, and that's when God leaves us, leads us in a particular direction that might cause us to scratch our heads a little bit. Let's read on in verses 7 and 8. Uh, and then Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews, were, uh, were, uh, the Jews there tried to stone you, yet you are going back there. See, here, here's Jesus in, in a certain area. Lazarus and the family are in Bethany. He delays for two days, and, and rather than going straight back to Bethany, he says to his disciples, hey, why don't, why don't we hang out over here in Judea? Uh, now, Judea was the, the, the epicenter, ground zero of the antagonism that was rising up against Jesus, and the disciples figured this. out. they're scratching their heads going, Jesus, why do you want us to go that direction? That's where they tried to stone you last time. We need to be heading back to Bethany. Has God ever led you in a direction that you're scratching your head wondering, what what in the world are you doing? Or you prayed and prayed and prayed for some kind of direction, and and you moved out in faith, and you got there, and life just fell apart? It's happened to all of us. And if you're not careful, you'll misinterpret those circumstances, and, and your faith will tailspin into something perhaps like disappointment with God. He he didn't do what I expected him to do. Well, maybe he's bringing you into a marvelous new and fresh understanding of himself and stretching your faith and seeing that in the midst of a delay or in the midst of a time of disease or uh, by putting you over here, will you still trust me in these circumstances? Jesus tells the disciples in verses 9 and 10, are there not 12 hours of a day anyone who walks in the light In the daytime, rather, will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Sounds kind of cryptic, doesn't it? He uses this metaphor of light and darkness to say, listen, uh, following the Lord's direction is equivalent to walking in the light, even if it feels like you're walking in darkness and you're, you're not quite sure what's going on or what you're doing. In other words, obeying God when he says go this direction is a whole lot safer than doing your own thing and ended up in even worse circumstances.
1: Let those words sink deep into your spirit today because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. No matter what you may be going through today, He is able to give you peace in the midst of pain, strength in the face of suffering. You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones, and today's message, The Resurrection and the Life, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Use the radio tab that's right at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure to check out a discipleship coaching experience developed by Dr. Ron Jones called Starting Point, a disciple's first steps. Look for Something Good Courses at the top of the homepage when you visit somethinggoodradio.org.
0: Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of scripture 66 books, and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word, and see how it all fits together so brilliantly. How every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes, Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details.
1: The ultimate road trip through the Bible, volume one and two can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy the ultimate road trip through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these
0: literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible-teaching pastor for more than 30 years, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox, I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to the ultimate road trip through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad
1: you decided to share this important book with us, and you can get your copy today by going to SomethingGoodRadio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at SomethingGoodRadio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757 276 1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456.
0: All the mysteries of life are truly solved in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you won't scratch your head from time to time and wonder you know, why the delay or why this direction or why the disease or why even the what from our perspective seems like an untimely death. We see through a glass darkly, Paul says. You know, fuzzy, puzzling reflections of the afterlife. God hasn't told us everything we want to know. He's told us everything we need to know. Uh, Enough to take a step of faith and to trust Him even through the valley of the shadow of death. All of life's mysteries are solved in Jesus Christ, including mysteries of the afterlife, because He's the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life.
1: That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, The Resurrection and the Life. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.